Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. Good morning, everybody. Okay, I'm going to put my timer on here because I'm too old to see the clock in the back. So um, I know... I do. I sound like my dad. I've become my dad. So, um, actually, we sang that song, How Great Thou Art, and as, um, I haven't heard that in a long time. And as we were singing that, I remembered my dad singing that um, in a little Baptist church when I was a kid. And so, lots of memories. I'm going to open in prayer. I'm sorry, we're going to pray again at church, but you guys prayed a couple different times. But this is, like, this is the first time I've, pre- I've preached in like about three years. And um, I was just telling my wife today, I was thinking about getting rid of all my Bible commentaries because I won't, I won't need them anymore. And then yesterday I had to go through the garage and dig out commentaries again. And I'm like, ah, I miss these. So um, we're going to pray partly for you guys and honestly partly for me. Okay, so here we go. Dear God, I thank you for today and I thank you for... Um, your presence in our life, Lord. And um, Lord, I'm, I'm visiting this church today, but it sounds like a lot of them have lost a dear friend. And Lord, we just ask that you would um, pour out your compassion on them and that they would have um, great memories of this person. And we pray for this person's family, Lord, also that you would comfort them. And God, we, uh, we ask this of you because we know that you can do it and we know your heart and we know that you care. And so Lord, I ask that you would help me today to, um, to be a blessing um, to this church. And Lord, um, I guess most importantly, God, I, we ask that they would get to see you in a fresh new way. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, so my name is Jeff Mahan, and I was a pastor about 22 years ago, I mean, for about 22 years, and now I serve God as a marriage and family therapist. And in a few weeks, I'm going to turn 51, and um, before I was, 50 was horrible, but 51, who cares? I'm already 50, right? So, um, but as I look back on my life, I, um, I just warn you, it might get a little emotional today, okay, because I was not expected to be doing this anymore. But here we go. So I remember lots of ups and downs look back on my life. And when I look closely at the down periods, I noticed like one or two things, okay? I noticed one or two things. A lot of times when I'm about to go off the rails and make some poor choices, I either forget who I am or who I was, I forget like where I come from, or I forget who God is. And often I forget both because they're kind of related, aren't they? Who God is often defines, shapes how we see ourselves. And so when I look back, I'm like, okay, that was a really poor decision. That was a really bad idea. Where, where was I thinking? Like, what was I thinking when I did that? It often comes down to because I forgot what Jeff Mahan, who Jeff Mahan is. And more importantly, I forgot who, who God is. I often doubt that God's present. Um, I doubt that he cares about what I'm doing. I doubt that he wants what's best for me. Amen. Essentially, I just doubt who he is. I doubt my relationship with him. And I make a mess of my life. Has anybody been there? Okay, so I'm not alone. Good, we're like all kind of in the family, right? So this morning as I was reviewing this, I was um, having a cup of coffee outside with my dog, Brooks, and um, 
I also realized that there have been some good times in my life. Actually, let me back that up. There have been some times where I've stayed faithful to God during bad times. Okay? I wish I could say there was more of those, but I remember this particular period of my life where it was a really, from the outside, it was a really bad period of my life. Okay? Lots of things were going wrong. And I was really mad at God. Okay, I'll be honest with you. I was really mad at God. But I stayed close to God because I knew he was present. And I knew he cared for me. And I knew he had a plan for me, but I just couldn't figure out why he was letting things happen the way they're happening right now. Does that make sense? And so, uh, you know, I think... I think God's a big God. He's got big shoulders. He's, he, he created us as humans. He knows we can get upset. And so I don't think he's surprised when we question him sometimes. Okay? In fact, the whole book of Job is about lots of questions, right? And so I was angry at God, but I didn't turn my back on him. I was angry at God, and I came to him with my complaint, right? That's what Jeremiah did. That's what Job did. And so that being com- trusting that he is who he says he is, that he was present in my mess, actually prevented me from making a bad situation much worse. And I don't think I'm alone in this, okay? You guys raise your hands. So this is a human pattern. When I doubt that God can care and provide enough resources for me, I'm more likely to steal or cheat on my taxes because I just think that I need more money and maybe God's not going to provide, so I have to do it on my own. If I doubt that um, God wants to give what's best for me, you and I are probably more likely to covet what other people have, Right? Um, when we doubt that God is near and involved in our lives, we're, likely to tr- we're more likely to trust in someone else. Like we might put all of our trust in our spouse instead of God. We might put our trust in a politician. Don't do that. We might put our trust, we might put our trust in our- ourselves. What a bad choice that is. Sometimes we put our choice, trust in a bigger salary. But the bottom line is this, that we forget who God is. We forget and we lose sight of the relationship he wants with us. And this is when things kind of get messed up. So today, I want us to go back to the beginning. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. I want us to go back to our origin story, humanity's origin story, because our origin story shapes who we are and what we become, right? The things that happen to us younger, what things we learn as a kid, shape who we are and who we become. I remember as a kid growing up, I was told stories about how hard my grandpa worked and how hard my dad worked. And every day for dinner, we would sit down, my mom would make a big dinner, and my dad would talk about his day. Okay? And I never met his coworkers, but I knew them by name. Okay? I still remember this story about his friend who was directing traffic so they could deliver the construction products, and they got all the traffic mixed up because that guy didn't know how to use the red and green signs, right? And um, I heard about his friend Skip and how big Skip was. All these details because my dad would talk about how hard he worked every day. And I value work ethic, right? That shaped who I was. And the other day, actually a couple weeks, months ago, I was complaining to my son because I miss him about how much he works. And he looked at me and he said, Dad, I thought you'd be proud of me. Because you see, that's what the Mahans do, okay? My wife here, they were, I was working in the backyard and, and my new stepson told me, he goes, he goes, told his mom, he works just like you do, right? This is part of who I am. This is part of my origin story. The Mahans, we may not be the brightest bunch, but we work really hard, 
okay? And this has shaped my life, shaped my future, and it shapes my boy's future. But now we're going to go back and we're going to look at God's origin story to rediscover who God is and our relationship with him. So these will shape our future too, okay? So we're in Genesis chapter 1, and I'm sorry that there are no slides. We're going to go like old school today, okay? So, um, and here we go. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. What? It, it is in the beginning of your Bible. If you like, start at the beginning, you'll find it, okay? So here we go. It says this, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind, that's you and I, in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the, in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them Male and female, he created them. Now, theologians debate what this means to be creating God's image. There's, like, there's books and books. There's like libraries on this one concept, okay? And if I were to claim I know exactly what it is, you should not trust me, okay? Because, if, because it's, a, it's a big, huge concept. As a marriage and family therapist, I kind of see this as much more relational, that God's a relational being, and he created us to be relational people. I think that's in there somewhere. Um, but what we do know for sure is this that we are created in his image. It doesn't say this about the trees. It doesn't say this about the planets. It doesn't say this about the animals. It doesn't say this about my pet brooks. It says that you and I, humans, are created in God's image. And that, cre- that allows us to be in a, a unique relationship with him. Okay, now I want to move to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to stay in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 today, okay? So Genesis chapter 2. It says, verse 7, it says this. The Lord God, okay, we're going to take a pause for a second, okay? In a lot of our English translations, you see that word Lord there? See how it's all uppercase? Okay? That would be replacing the name of God, Yahweh, okay? And so we look at the book of Genesis like it's the beginning but the reality is this. The nation of Israel, they met Yahweh before they had the book of Genesis, right? Because Moses wrote it. And so, remember, you might remember this, but Moses told God, when God told Moses, hey, go rescue my people, Moses goes, who should I tell them sent me? Because there's lots of gods in Egypt. So which one are you, right? And God said, my name is Yahweh, right? And so then Moses goes to Egypt and goes, they, his people and go, hey, Yahweh said, I'm here to rescue you, right? So, so, in Gen- so we're going to go back to Genesis 2, okay? And it says here in verse 7 that the Lord God, so we have two terms for God put together. And this is significant. It, this phrase is used 20 times in Genesis 2 and 3, okay? Only one other time in the entire first five books of the Bible is it used like this, one other time. So it's obviously important, this passage. So it says here that the Lord God, this is Yahweh God, formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Verse 8, now the Lord God, same thing, had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
So we have this pattern where he's saying that God, big general God, the God who created the world in Genesis chapter 1, now they're attaching his personal name to this person here. And he says that he's doing this, okay? And so they combine the creator of the God with the Yahweh God of Israel. And they're the same thing, same person in this story. Now, I want you to notice some of the imagery in this passage, right? That God created man, he shaped him. Anybody here made anything out of clay? Okay. okay, I did in kindergarten. It wasn't very impressive, okay? But the idea is that you take some stuff and you mold it. And the idea here is that God shaped us, okay? And he says he breathed the breath of life into us. So God is, in this passage, what I want you to see here is this. That Genesis chapter 1, you have this huge God who's just like speaking stuff into existence, right? Like, let there be stars, let there be light. But in Genesis 2, we have like this God who is very intentional. He's hands-on. He's personally and intimately involved. It says here, he planted a garden with plants and trees that are beautiful to look at and good to eat. And he takes Adam and he places him in the garden. See, God was taking care of Adam. And in this this picture here, we see that God is giving Adam good things. Right? He's, He's... puts this garden together and says, like, oh, this tree's beautiful. This tree creates great fruit. And he takes Adam and he puts him here. What we do not see in this passage, and this is so important, we do not see that God is distant. No, God is very present. He's not aloof. He's present. He's not stingy. He's not giving Adam crabgrass in the garden, right? He, he's giving him good stuff. He's not stingy. And he, does not, he doesn't withhold good from Adam. Okay? And then it goes on here and says this. The Lord God, again, said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So this is the first time in the story where something's not good, right? And so does God here rush to fix it? No. He's hands-on. He uses this as a teaching moment, an opportunity for Adam to learn something important. So notice what God does. Verse 19, now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he, had, what he would name them. And whenever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So here's what you notice. God sees that it's not good that Adam's alone, but he wants Adam to learn that, right? Because if Adam doesn't learn it, he might take his future wife for granted. So he says, hey, Adam, I want you to go and name the animals. And as he's naming the animals, he sees mama bear, papa bear. And he sees mama dog and papa dog, right? He sees this pattern, male, female, and Adam becomes aware of his need. And then it says this. So the Lord God, notice that pattern again, Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. Once again, we see God here as present, intentional, personally, and intimately involved. In fact, he plays matchmaker 
Isn't that kind of crazy? This is like before eHarmony, right? God's like, hey, come here. I want you to meet somebody. And he's like, so he gets her ready, and he brings her to Adam, right? And, um, and Adam's excited. In fact, it doesn't translate really well into English, but basically Adam breaks, breaks out into poetry, okay? I'll be honest. That's something that has never happened to me, right? And, but Adam breaks down into poetry, and he goes, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken from man. Okay, and so in Genesis chapter 2, this is so important, God is present. He's near. He's with Adam. He's with Eve. He's intentional. He's personal. He's intimately involved in the details of their life. He's providing what man needs to be complete. He's a really cool God. He's an amazing God, right? He, he's it's incredible. And now we're going to move to chapter 3, okay? Now the serpent you may have heard about him, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And the serpent said to the woman, did God really say? Did you catch that? This is the first time in the passage that it's not Lord God. You see that? First time in the passage. So in the passage, all beforehand, this Lord God the God with a name, the personal quality that is added to that is intimately involved. And then we, we look at the serpent as Satan. It doesn't say this, but the rest of the scripture, good chance, right? And so, so we look at this, and I want you to see this. That the first move that he makes is to make God less personal. Does that make sense? That is hugely significant, okay? So, because he's crafty, right? So he said to the woman, did God, that's like that more distant, did the creator God, the one who's not close to you, right? Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? What is he doing? He's challenging God's trustworthiness. Did he really say? And then that subtle change where he doesn't include the personal aspect of God's name. By the way, this is usually where my life begins to be a problem. When I think of God as big and away from me, I am much more likely to do stupid things, right? Because I don't think he cares. Maybe he's not watching. He's got bigger problems to fix. You know what I mean? He's got, like, he's got that war over there in Ukraine and Russia, right? He, he's, he doesn't have time for me, right? Because Satan's like, Jeff, God's got bigger people to worry about right? He's not present. And so this is what he does with Eve. And now check this out. The woman said to the serpent, we, this is verse two, we may eat from the fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, guess what? She adopted the serpent's stance. See that? But God did say, that God who's out there, away, that God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you'll die. Eve adopts the serpent's less personal concept of God. Eve also adds the rules, making the rules harder than they should be. That could be a whole sermon series on how the church makes things harder than it needs to be, but we will not go there today, okay? Then verse four says this, you will not certainly die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
So what is he doing here? He's like, God is lying to you. You're not going to die. He's keeping you down. He's keeping good stuff from you. Essentially, essentially, the serpent is saying this. God's selfish. He doesn't want you to enjoy life. He is keeping good stuff from you. And if we're honest, a lot of our temptations feel like that, doesn't it? Like, God doesn't want me to have this, but I want this. And I think it'll make me happy. And God's like, oh, Jeff, that is going to really wreck your life. No, it won't, God. I, I know what I'm doing, God. This will make me happy. And he's like, ah, I kind of know the future, Jeff. This is a really bad plan. You just don't want good things to happen to me, God. Does that ever happen to you guys? Am I the only one that talks to God like this? Thank you. Okay. So um, to my new wife, I'm not really this crazy all the time. Okay. So we just got married a month ago. Okay. A month and one day. Yesterday was our month anniversary. Okay. So, you know, I'm kind of bragging. I scored. I did well. Okay. So um, where was I? I got distracted. I know. I know. Okay, where are we at? Oh, yeah. So Eve adds the rules. Oh, you will certainly not die. So Satan's lying to Eve about God. Okay? So I want you to notice that this concept of who God is has been distorted. Satan is distorting how Eve should perceive God. Right? And uh, he, he, he doesn't want good things in your life. He's not nearby. He doesn't care. He's withholding good from you. And what happens here is this. The distorted idea of who God is leads to a change in behavior, how they relate to him. It changes how they relate to God. Okay. And we know the rest of the story, right? She eats. It changes her behavior. And then she goes to Adam, and then Adam eats. Now, here's the thing. Satan wants to wreck our idea of who God is because if he changes our idea of who God is, it changes how we relate to him. We don't trust him. Our life is ruined. We got this in First John, I'm sorry, John 10, 10, that, you know, that um, Jesus says, I've come that you have, might have life and life abundantly. You know, but Satan's like a roaring lion seeking to destroy life. And this is, this is, this is his game plan is to distort how we see God. But here's the cool thing. God doesn't let Satan win here. Okay, so here we go. So they, Adam and Eve's behavior changes because for a moment they buy into this distorted view of who God is. And then we have verse eight. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. You guys, I love this because it kind of implies that they've been hearing God's footsteps for a long time. Can you guys tell if somebody's walking down the hall in your house who it is? Sometimes. Sometimes? Yeah, right? So I can tell in my house if it's Glenda walking down this hall or stairs or if it's Gabriel, okay? Or if it's my son, Zach or Brian, because we hear them, right? Sometimes we can even like, sometimes as parents, we can hear like, if there's like a cough, we're like, that's my son. You know, we, just, we can hear because it's distinct. So in this passage here, God is just walking in the garden. That's got to be cool, right? Just be able to take a walk with God. But so, and for somehow, it sounds like it's happened enough because they recognize the sound that God makes. Isn't that crazy? That God has a sound as he walks in the garden. But they recognize it, right? And so they hear, 
Um, they heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking. By the way, Lord God, we got back to his real identity again, right? He's God of the universe, creator, but he's also personable. He has a name. We can call on his name. And so he's walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Obviously, the garden was not in Sacramento. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So they hear him and they hid. Why? They were naked. Yes, they were. They hid because their idea of who God was is distorted. Because before they walked with him. But now, after dealing with the serpent and buying into his idea of who God is, right? A God who is kind of selfish, who doesn't want what's best for him. A God who doesn't care, who's distant, who might be deceitful. Now, when God shows up, they hide. And they hid from him. But here's where it gets good. Called to the man. And he said, where are you? And he answered. And Adam says, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. By the way, I totally get that. When I get out of the shower, I'm like, oh my gosh, what happened, right? So, and he goes, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman put me put here. I love, I, this is so human, okay? And he goes, the man said, the woman you put me with, God. That woman that you set me up with. So is he blaming her or is he blaming God? I'm not sure which one, right? But um, he says, she gave me some fruit from the tree and ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And she said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. And by the way, this is exactly what you and I do all the time, right? When, we, when we're afraid of who God is in our life, and we've done something dumb, when we've sinned, what do we do? We're afraid we're going to be rejected by God, because that's the lie that Satan tells us. So we blame somebody else hoping that God won't reject us, right? And so this is a human condition because our, our understanding of who God has totally changed. It's been warped. And we assume that God is going to reject us. So we blame other people or we blame him. So when God walks in the garden, they hide from him, God. They're afraid of God. They're aware of their vulnerability, which is really what the nakedness is about, that they're vulnerable. They're, there's, no, there's no barrier. God sees everything in their lives. And they're assuming rejection, do you guys realize this? In our world, they assume that God is going to reject them because they have bought into the lie that Satan has told us. And they, and they to avoid rejection, they hide, right? They create distance from God. But here, the truth, of God, the truth about God is on full display here, right? Because God is looking for them. They've sinned. They're hiding. But God, who is loving, who is intimately connected, who is actually involved in our world, pursues them. He is seeking relationship with them. See, there are still consequences for action. There's no doubt. They're going to get some consequences here in a second, okay? But it's by their choice. But God still wants that relationship with them. And by the way, it's God 
who deals with their nakedness. It's God who deals with their shame. Adam and Eve don't get to a certain point and go, okay, now that I'm good enough, I can come talk to God again. No. God's like, I'll take care of that. I will handle that. I will cover your shame. You guys, when we lose sight of who God is, when we forget our relationship with God is defined by love, we move away from God and our lives suffer. We do not experience the abundant life that comes with being in connection with God. And this is exactly what Satan wants. But our origin story, an all-powerful relational God who created us in his image so we can be in a love relationship with him, That's our story. That's where it all begins. A God who is near and intimate rather than distant. A God whose love is intentional and personal. A God who desires to do good things in our life to meet our needs. And you ready? When we mess up, that same God is the one who pursues us, who covers our shame and restores our relationship. Yes, this is our origin story. We see this perfectly displayed later on in the cross, right? Where he seeks us. He makes a sacrifice. He deals with our sin. He deals with our shame. All because of his love for us. Because our God wants to be in a relationship with us. So here's what I want you guys to... I have a couple of questions I want you to ask yourself. When you're ready to give up, or when you're tempted to go astray, I want you to ask yourself a couple questions. Do I believe my God is near and present in my life? Sometimes that's where we go wrong. If I don't think he's near, then I'm tempted to handle stuff on my own. I'm a pretty, like, resourceful person. And if I don't think God's around, then I will take care of it. And this is when I get myself into trouble. Second question. Do I believe he is intimately and personally involved in my life? Another way to ask this is, does he care? Now, there are different points in my life, but some points in my life, I believed that God was present. But I believed he didn't care. And so then I decided I would care for myself. And it usually ended up poorly. The next one, does he want what is best for me? Personally, this is the one I struggle with the most. But the answers to these questions brings a lot of clarity to the temptations we face. And if we, can ask, if we can go, yes, I, and actually sometimes asking these questions actually helps me like kind of reboot my brain, right? You know, I kind of get all caught up in drama and a mess and I have to ask these questions and it helps me. It's like when my computer gets totally messed up, I hit the power button, I reboot and I start over again, right? And these questions help me kind of reboot my brain. And I'm like, do I believe God is distant or near? He is near. 
Do I think he cares? It doesn't feel like it right now, but his word says he cares. I'll trust that. Does he want what's best for me? It doesn't feel like it, but I'll trust it because his word shows me over and over again how much he cares, right? And when we have the answer to these questions, it strengthens our faith. They'll shape the choices we make in our life. And they actually will lead you in a life-giving relationship with him. Here's my challenge today. When God is pursuing you, don't believe the lies Satan says about him. Okay? Go back to your origin story. An all-powerful God is intimately and personally involved in your life because he cares for you. So when he is pursuing you, trust him and move toward him. Genesis is humanity's origin story and it's our origin story. It's my story. Wherever you find yourself today, no matter the circumstances, God is present, he is near, he is intimately involved, he desires to do good things in your life, he desires to meet your needs, so let's live like it. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the opportunity to preach again. Lord, I, I ask that as we leave these walls today, that we would realize how amazing you are and how we sing how you're a good God, but that would actually become internalized in our lives. We'd recognize that you're a good God and we'd reject the lies that Satan tells us about you. Because what we believe about you shapes who we are and it shapes how we live. And Lord, I also thank you so much for your patience with us, just like your patience with Adam and Eve, that when we mess up, you pursue us. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Isn't it so good to reflect on God being near and intimate? I, I know for me, right? God right now being so good and personal. Um, he seeks us and he cares for us. So just reflecting on that, and it is a great transition for our announcement with disciple groups. You know, one of the ways that we are cared for by God is in being able to care for each other and experiencing that intimacy with each other and caring for each other and meeting each other's needs. I know we are so blessed as a family by our disciple group. And we're launching groups again this week for the fall. And so in the back, we have uh, information available for what times. And so if you're interested and not connected yet, you can write your name or your phone number on there. And one of our disciple group facilitators will reach out to you. Um, because we would love to have you connected and cared for in that way and to be able to grow in deeper relationship with God and with one another. And then our second announcement, second and final today, is that next week is potluck. We have a business meeting on September 11th at 5 p.m. And it is 
primarily to address our proposed bylaw articles. Um, so that will be making us more team-driven instead of lead senior pastor-driven. And so Q&A will be available and, of course, the food that you bring as well. So love you guys. Have a great week.